You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We have spent months trying to figure out what the future of Donovan Mitchell looked like. And so many people were ready to put him on a train to New York, knowing that he wanted to be a Nick and the Knicks wanted him. But today, the breaking news in the NBA is that Donovan Mitchell has been traded but not to the place that most people expected. It's Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jason Fitz, hanging out with Courtney Cronin tonight. You can hang out with us, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. In fact, you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. You can call us, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the, without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. We'll get into some college football uh, tonight as we have a big matchup on ESPN you don't want to miss. Got a lot that we're going to get to, uh, and including the great Woj going to join us next hour to break down the news, Courtney, today that Utah is trading Donovan Mitchell. We we knew this would happen. I mean, I think most people expected it, but Utah trades him to Cleveland for Laurie Markkinen, Ocher Abaji, uh, Colin Sexton, three unprotected first-round picks, and two pick swaps. So a bunch going back to Utah, who now give up Donovan Mitchell. They go into full rebuild mode, and Donovan Mitchell tries to win a championship with the Cavs? I guess so. I mean, I can't wrap my head around this, how New York, once again, the New York Knicks failed to bring a superstar to their city. And I know some people now want to play the revisionist history game and say, well, Donovan Mitchell, he's a star, but is he a superstar? And maybe that's the reason they didn't go all in. What we know is that the guy is from the area. Donovan Mitchell, when he requested out of Utah, he wanted to go home. And it feels like pairing him with Jalen Brunson would have been enough to bring another superstar to that market to finally build a group that's sustainable. They had the draft capital to do it. They had the players to do it, and they failed to do it. And it's just maddening to see that we got to this point, that he ends up in Cleveland of all places. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Cavs, who very much, um, you know, pulled off um, – this, this, they're in the midst of their rebuild right now and sending all of their assets elsewhere, and they have been the last couple of years. But it feels more like a failure on the Knicks' part to me than it does a success for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, and this is what's wild about it for the Knicks. And, you know, I always look to Alan Hahn, who you can listen to on Barton Hahn, uh, does great work working around the Knicks and with the Knicks. And, uh, you know, he was talking about the fact earlier on Twitter today that, you know, this is difficult because at this point – the Knicks were just not willing to give up players and picks. And to that end, you have to look at it and say, okay, but you can't have it both ways. I think you make a smart point, Courtney, in the sense that so many Knicks fans are, are going to come in today and say, well, yeah, we didn't want Donovan Mitchell that. Yes, you did. Like you, you were all in. You guys wanted Donovan Mitchell to be part of your franchise. You thought it made sense. Now he's not there. And like the jilted lover that comes back and says, well, I didn't like her that much. Yes, you did. You were in love, and she walked away. And, and Courtney, I keep thinking about, for Knicks fans, how this is yet another reminder that at your best for this roster this year, you're a medium-level team. You're, you're sort of hoping you can get your way into the middle of the East. Like, 
The Knicks are not a serious title contender, and maybe Donovan Mitchell wouldn't have made them a championship-caliber basketball team, but I know no Donovan Mitchell. I know exactly where they stand right there, and it's not good enough to compete with the Bostons, the Phillies, the Milwaukees. The list goes on and on. Like, New York is stuck in a spot that's worse than good or bad. They're stuck in mediocre irrelevance. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that they finished 11th last year in the East, and it's unfortunate because they were an exciting team two years ago, and it felt like they might have been on the cusp of doing something really special, and then they get in their own way. To me, this is another example of them getting in their own way. Why? Because they didn't want to give up R.J. Barrett? Like, I understand that he is an asset for this franchise and a player that is young and they're not exactly ready to ship out the door yet, but when you have someone like Donovan Mitchell, and knowing that you have the draft capital, what are you going to do? Just sit on that and expect that you're building through the draft, and that's going to A, yield another superstar, and B, bring in other free agents to like the next couple of years. Like your window's closing. I mean, it's do they even have a window that's open when you look at the rest of the East and how you know stacked like the teams you mentioned were Boston. Um, you know, the, the Knicks are running. Excuse me, the 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 Brooklyn Nets now, at least as of right now, have Kevin Durant and the entire crew back in the fold. So that's another team that you have to put into the mix of. Well, we're not on their level yet. Like it just feels like they're further and further pushing themselves away from the head of the pack, and it's going to take something you know far bigger than this now to get them back into relevance yeah you know such a good point she's courtney cronin hanging in out with me i'm jason fitz bain and fitz on espn radio when you talk about the east and the way the east is layered not just for right now but for the next several years one of the things we're going to talk about in a few minutes is a huge quarterback contract that went out in the afc and the way it looks but part of what can feel hopeless at times for afc fans is how young the quarterbacks are that are stars if you are a fan right now of an Eastern Conference team, you got to look around and say, well, I mean, Milwaukee's certainly not old, right? Milwaukee's got plenty of years in their window to be able to continue to compete. Boston has plenty of years left in their window to be able to compete. Philly has plenty of years. So it's not even as simple as if you draft well, you'll catch up. You're just too far behind. To that end, though, I mean, the Cavs did just acquire a superstar player. Dave McMiniman, ESPN NBA reporter on Canty and Carlin, had this to say about where it puts the Cavs in the East. I think the teams that you guys just mentioned are the standard going into the year. Certainly Milwaukee, Boston, Philly uh, are probably as locked as it gets. Uh, But then there's wiggle room, right? And you could say that the Cavs could go from being you know, the nine of the 10 seed to the four of the five. I mean, the Cavs acquired Donovan Mitchell with the hope of being the four of the five seed. It, it, that, and the Knicks don't acquire Donovan Mitchell, and now they're sitting there looking at, you know, the outside looking in maybe on the playoffs. Courtney, it's a, it's a damning prospect to figure out how to make your way through this and actually challenge in that conference. Yeah, and I think if you're a Knicks fan, you're looking at what happened this offseason and trying to justify it. Like, did will they find out that they overpaid for Jalen Brunson? I mean, obviously it's good because it takes the ball out of Julius Randle's hands, but, you know, that was your big move that you made. And they didn't make anything beyond that, and they botched the draft in a lot of different ways. I don't think anybody will try to sugarcoat that. And now you only hope that R.J. Barrett will have the time to continue developing and, you know, that those those eight future trade eligible picks are somehow still in their holster going forward. So I don't know. It just kind of feels like they're punting again on this year for lack of a better term. And it's unfortunate because this is the biggest news we've heard in the NBA 
in about a month, really, ever since, you know, Kevin Durant and the trade rumors had quieted down because he wasn't getting dealt out of Brooklyn. We were wondering what was going to happen next with Donovan Mitchell. Would he end up having to stay in Utah or would Danny Ainge still try to get him out of there? And he did. And I just wasn't thinking it would be the Cleveland Cavaliers who at this point, their gain could very well put them middle of the pack, replacing like a Bulls team. That was what the fifth or sixth seed this year. Maybe that's where Cleveland becomes kind of like steps into the limelight light now as a team that's still on the outside looking in of the top teams in the East, but getting there after this rebuild that they went through with in banking on this young core of players to carry them uh, against the, the better teams in the East. If you are a Knicks fan and you're trying to justify not acquiring Donovan Mitchell, remember one thing today, the Cavs are clearly better than the Knicks. I mean, that's just, that's fact. So uh, for all you might want to say, even with the supporting cast and the guys that you – I believe in R.J. Barrett, Courtney. I think you're right about that. There are guys that I think can develop on that roster that are good. But today, right now, the Cavs are clearly better than the Knicks, and that's a statement because they acquired Donovan Mitchell. We got a lot going on tonight, including the backyard brawl just uh, just kicked off out on ESPN. West Virginia taking on Pitt College football action in full swing. Plus, we're going to see the Williams sisters in doubles action at the U.S. Open. We'll keep you updated on all of it as it continues to come through the course of the evening. But in the meantime, Russell Wilson just got paid. The question is, what's it mean for a whole crop of young quarterbacks throughout the AFC? We'll answer that next. Courtney Cronin hanging out for Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz at Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I love it when people get paid. I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't care what you do. If you get more money doing it, I am the biggest fan of that in the world. So I love it when I see contracts go out. I don't really care who it's for. But sometimes when you see the contracts go out, it's at least fair to step back and ask yourself, what does that do to market value? That's a question everybody's been asking today. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Courtney Cronin hanging out with me. I'm Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Courtney, the big news that everybody's been talking about, other than the Donovan Mitchell trade today, is the fact that the Broncos have reached a massive contract extension with Russell Wilson. It's a five-year, $245 million extension, including $165 million in guaranteed money. It's tacked on that, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. It's tacked on to the two years that he already had left. So that means for the next seven years, the 33-year-old Russell Wilson is now under contract with the Broncos for a total of roughly $296 million. It's a ton of money, and it raises a question of what it means to the quarterback market, first and foremost to Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like for Lamar Jackson, who as of right now, it's September 1st fits and is sitting without a contract extension and said that once it gets to week one, that's his deadline. He's not going to be trying to work out negotiations because he represents himself uh, during the season, and that's a smart play. It worries me, and honestly, I felt this way when Kyler Murray signed his contract earlier in training camp, and then following up on it, with Russell Wilson's deal today, it's very clear he didn't go in there trying to demand that he was going to be the top-paid quarterback in league history. I, I feel like this further cements the case that Deshaun Watson, in the contract he got, that five-year record, $230 million fully guaranteed contract, is more of an aberration than it will ever become like the norm in the NFL. And it did reset the market, but in terms of market value for other quarterbacks, they keep coming in way beneath the guarantees that 
Deshaun Watson got. I mean, 165 million in total guarantees. I'm sure that's life-altering money for somebody who's already made a lot of money and has already, you know, been to the Super Bowl and has all of these career achievements, far better achievements than Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray. The last two contracts that we go off of here, when we think about the deal that that uh, Russell Wilson got, but even still, it just feels like he left a lot on the table. And not saying he hurt the quarterback market quarterback market going forward but it doesn't feel like this does the next in line any sort of favors when Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are eligible for their extensions after the season doesn't feel like this will um, end up helping them when they go to the negotiating table it it feels sometimes and and to be very clear I'm not saying that any human being is equatable to property let me be very clear about that before anybody twists my words Uh, that being said at times, when you look at market value, it reminds me of real estate. If anybody's ever owned a house and they've gone to sell that house, one of the things you look at is, how are the rest of the houses in my neighborhood doing? What's the price per square foot? If you've ever sold a house, you go through this process. And every once in a while, there's a house that sells for an irrational amount of money or an irrationally low amount of money. And all of the neighbors freak out either way. Like, the neighbors will freak out on one side saying, oh, my God, look at this. They got so much. My house is now worth a million dollars. And you look at your house and you say, no, it isn't. It's a gym. Your house is not worth a million dollars. But then you've got the other side. Well, they'll say, oh, my God, well, if the house on the corner sold for that, my house is worthless. No, it isn't. It's tough, though, when you have fair market value. And it depends on what you want to take as fair market value because certainly the resume for Russell Wilson absolutely screams, okay, I've accomplished all of this. I've got Super Bowl experience. Look at all of the things that Russell Wilson has done. You could use that portion to acquire fair market value to compare to Lamar. Or or you could say Deshaun Watson is in my division. He's about the same age, right? He's young. Uh, all of these things that if you're looking at it, Lamar Jackson saying, hey, you want me be, because I'm worth more than Russ because Russ is 33. I'm going to play higher, a higher level of football for longer. Like, you need me more than the Broncos need Russ. So I could see Lamar's camp making an argument that even in this process, Deshaun's contract still actually sets the value. What we don't know is what does Lamar Jackson want? And until he tells us that, I can't figure out why he would take any sort of a deal today unless it's exactly every single dollar he wants. Yeah, and he shouldn't, and there's no reason to believe that he will. But again, he represents himself, so we don't hear about what he wants all that often. And he won't talk about the number for obvious reasons. You don't want to put those negotiating – anything you're going to use as a negotiating tactic out there in the open. But it just makes things a lot trickier to navigate because stuff doesn't leak out, and we can't figure out how can they get to this number, how far off might the Ravens be in terms of a number that Lamar Jackson wants. But – I I just I, I look at Lamar and I look at the situation that since he became eligible for an extension last year, five other quarterbacks had signed deals that exceeded $150 million in guarantees. And so the average jumps from $45 million to $50.3 million, which is, you know, going from Mahomes to Aaron Rodgers. You know, I just feel like this is a deal that doesn't do Lamar Jackson any favors long term. And you've got to hope that the unanimous MVP, the records that he shattered uh, in route to doing that in 2019, and also for the Ravens realizing the drop-off that they have as a team when he's not out there, 
that that's going to carry weight when he's at the negotiating table and give him at least closer to what he believes he's worth. Because you you will never get the full amount of what you're worth because teams are always trying to do things that benefit them. Fits and and that's just always where we're going to be, and that's where the conversation will the line will always be drawn with this conversation. Can he at least get? close to the number that he wants to be at, and he feels like, he, you know, the rest of us, too, feel like he he's at. She's Courtney Cronin. I'm Jason Fitz. It's Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And I, I think one thing that I find really interesting about this is the money that's been made. Uh, because you mentioned really in, smartly that Russell Wilson's already made a ton of money, right? So maybe he takes a, a deal that's a little more team-friendly because his priorities are in a different place. But one thing that I think stands out about Lamar is he's set to make, I think it's $23 million this year. Uh, if if you are somebody that's, you know, maybe not grown up in that circumstance and you have twenty three million dollars, you already have life changing money. So now it comes to how do you how do you see what's next? And even for everybody that says, well, you should sign a deal now because he, he, what about injuries? As you know, covering teams, athletes are very rarely sitting around saying, but what if I get hurt? Fans think that all the time, but athletes rarely do. But on top of that, even if, God forbid, he did get hurt this year, I still believe the Ravens are in a situation where they would have to franchise him next year, which would give him roughly $50 million next year. So if you know that over the next two years, even with an injury, you're still likely, unless it's career-threatening, to yes. make roughly $73 million, that can that can allow you to play blackjack a little differently than I do, right? Like, So I think that's part of all of this with Lamar. It, if he knows he's got that kind of coin coming and he wants to hold out just to see if he can you know, set the record, heck, why not if you got that much? Yeah, and I mean he's he's 25 years old. It's not like a quarterback who is 29 going on 30 trying to sign their next big deal which could very well be their last because of, you know, just just how the turnover is in the NFL and how long careers last. Like Lamar could have two more deals including this one that, you know, is kind of the outstanding one like left in his future. And I think that we need to bring back the conversation of the franchise tag actually being your friend in a situation like this because you had mentioned that number, north of $50 million, and it's all fully guaranteed. So if you want to bet on yourself in the short term and if they franchise you next year, that might be the route to go because at least you are getting the full amount of that instead of a deal that, again, as we saw with this with this deal with Russ Wilson, um, there's you know the, the guarantees don't even touch the total amount. I'll be curious to see if we really do hit a deadline because it's been made clear that once the season starts, Lamar's ending this conversation. But every time we see a quarterback get paid, it just continues the talk. And to be very clear, this is about Lamar. Later in the show, we'll get into what it means for some of the other quarterbacks in the AFC because last time I checked, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert sitting around, they could have the chance to reset the market yet again also. So we'll keep breaking that down. In the meantime, we'll ask somebody in Denver that has a better knowledge than most of us on what all of this means for us. That's coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The minute Russ was acquired by the Broncos, you had to know a contract was coming. But frankly, what's it going to look like and what's it mean for the market? You just heard Keyshawn saying they're recorrecting the market. Is that even possible? We're going to figure it out. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, 
By the way, uh, Ben, uh, working on the board, doing a great job with that song, Painted Black, always brings back fond memories. That was I used to play that as uh, my fiddle solo in the middle of the Van Perry show. When they did band introductions, I always played Painted Black, then threw my fiddle bow in the air. That was a you know, so good, good pull by you, Ben. I take back one mean thing I've said today. Courtney <laughs> uh, Cronin, Jason Fitz, we're on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and we got to get some insight on what all of this means. So to do that, ESPN Broncos reporter Jeff Legwell joins us. Jeff, always appreciate your time, my friend. Hope all is well in Denver. And you know, what was your reaction when you saw the terms of the contract specifically? Well, Jason, I think the the one thing that struck me was, A, the the feeling was that they were kind of working on a deadline that really wasn't out there in the world, that Russell and his folks and the Broncos actually wanted to have this done before the regular season started. So there was that clock ticking when maybe folks didn't realize it. And uh, when you look at the numbers uh, or that I've seen so far, I think, uh, you know, a lot will be made of the total and the average per year. But I think one important one is within eight months, the first eight months of this deal starting today, Russell Wilson will have $77 million in his hand, cash money. And I think that was sort of the concession from the Broncos side as the as Wilson gave them a break on sort of the total maybe is that he gets a lot of this cash in his hand uh, within the first eight months of the deal. That's a good point because we've been talking leggy about the 165 million in guarantees and just how, how low that is from the total amount or the, the gap between the total amount of the contract. And it doesn't seem like Russell will Russell went into this trying to reset the market. Like, was that your, expectation that he was not going to be seeking to top Deshaun Watson in this, that it was going to be more about the guarantees and the money he could get up front? Well, you know, Courtney, that's, that's what I mean. I, I think you, he could have easily. The, the Broncos had no leverage in this, really. Uh, I mean, they, they essentially said acquiring Russell Wilson is better than eight players because they gave up five draft picks you know, four of them in the first two rounds of the draft and three starters uh, to get him. So they had to get this deal done. And Wilson really could have said, uh, I'm not doing it for less than, and then just named a number. And the Broncos would have had a hard time refuting that. But Wilson made it clear early and uh, that he was interested in doing a deal that was, you know, awesome on you know in the big picture level that this is a lot of money but that he wanted to play for a team that could win over the long haul over the length of the deal and that's what he said today when we were over there he he said it uh in the end you know his quote was it wasn't how much it was how many as in how many super bowls uh can they win and i really think he believed that it wasn't just lip service but i think sort of the the concession the team had to make. And this is where having now the richest ownership group in the NFL helps putting the cash money in his hand. He doesn't have to wait for, you know, 2027 uh, to see any guarantee. He gets it in his hand now to do what he wants to with it right now. So I, I think that was sort of the middle ground they found in all of this. 
We're talking to ESPN Broncos reporter Jeff Legwold on Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, Jason Fitz. So, Jeff, uh, you mentioned winning, and, you know, admittedly, I've always worn my Raiders fandom on my sleeve. I know my bias, but I may or may not have commented on the the, the, the Instagram post that ESPN put out. That's a lot of money for fourth place. Uh, but realistically, this is a really good division. So what are realistic expectations for Broncos fans going in to the next couple of years with this roster compared to the Chargers, the Chiefs, and the Raiders? Well, Jason, having been on your pod long ago, I, I, I will say you know you know the uh, uh, few places do good regular season panic like Denver. And I think <laughs> I think the playoffs, I think the playoffs is is sort of everyone's baseline expectations. Get into the postseason and see what happens. And when I look at the roster objectively, you know, you take the ten thousand foot view and try to take you know, other factors out of it. The roster is good enough. But the top 30, 35 players uh, are good enough right now to, to be in the playoff conversation. It's really, do they have the depth to, to survive any bad things that happen along the way? Because, you know, the general manager is George Payton is only in the second year of his tenure. So they don't have it all the way the way they'd like it. But their top 35 is a pretty good group uh, that can do a lot of things. And postseason is is the reasonable. And frankly, you know, people here would be crushed mightily if they were not in the playoffs when all was said and done. So what's next? Because it's very clear, you know, he's part of their long-term plan. This could be very well where he finishes out his career. And for the Broncos, they hope that's with a Super Bowl. As far as what George Payton is building now – where where do they go next? What do they need to do now that they've got their quarterback uh, issue solved for the long term? Well, you know, Courtney, the big ticket items have gotten checked off. I mean, the, the ownership transition was an enormous deal about sort of the direction of the franchise. And I, I've said here, you know, the Broncos became the Broncos, you know, very much a, a one of the sort of big franchises in the league, three Super Bowl wins. You know, Pat Boland's tenure, they had more Super Bowl trips than they did losing seasons in 30 years. So they did all that without really having a lot of money. And that's the difference now. They have everything they have as the Broncos, and now they also have the richest owner in the league. And I think that's what to watch because George Payton has a lot of in the direction of the franchise on the football side, he has, he has really all of the say in many ways. And now he has the biggest checkbook to do whatever he wants. And I think that will bear watching because the, the new owners have said uh, they weren't in it just to get a bauble in their portfolio. They were in this to really try to be something. And, and I think that will bear watching moving forward. Before we get you out of here, Jeff, one more uh, real quick. Hackett has been, I think, one of the least talked about new coaches on the national spectrum. You've been around this team so long. What's your impression of the new coaching staff? Well, he he has definitely tried to – you know, I always say when you get a new coach, it's always the opposite of the previous guy. You know, if the previous (laughs) guy was a cast master, the the new guy is always, you know, more player-friendly. And if the guy who got fired was too player-friendly, it's a taskmaster. So he – Vic Fangio was was an older coach, a more stern guy. You know, 
Hackett has come in with this sort of new age thinking, a lot of analytics, a lot of discussion about learning and how, how players learn and how they should teach. And they're using a lot of sort of self-created learning programs and all of those things. He's, he's structured practice differently. So, uh, you know, if you win, all of those decisions are right. And that's where it is right now. He's tried a lot of different things. The players have responded well. They have a good roster. Uh, the only thing that will sort of derail Hackett's uh, honeymoon period that's still sort of going on is if they don't put up a lot of points early in the season because this, this team hasn't averaged more than 23 points a game since healthy Peyton Manning in 2014. So that's really his mission is to get some touchdowns for a team that hasn't had very many. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore Legwold all year to keep up on the Broncos. Jeff, you've always been the best. You still are, my friend. I appreciate you. <laughs> uh, you guys are great, man. I'm I'm happy to be with you. Thanks. Courtney, you know, Thanks, you may Maggie. you may not know this, but uh some people don't know this part of my past. But like I got here as a musician that started as a podcast. Like that that was before podcasts were a big deal. I started a podcast on the road where I had music guys talk about sports, sports guys talk about music. I just grinded. I tried to do new podcasts every week and just get great guests. And Jeff was one of the first people that was gracious enough to give me his time and come on the podcast and talk to me about all things football. Help make me legitimate out of the gate to have somebody like him on. So, you know, look look at that. Like, I don't get to call him leggy, though. That, that, that I feel like that's we're not at that level. You're at leggy level. Yeah, I mean, he's the ultimate teammate, and he's got the best nickname of anybody in our NFL Nation group. So I think I think you can call him Leggy. I think he would oblige. You know what? I'm going with Leggy from now on. That's a thing. All right, we got a ton of NFL action to get you caught up. Big news across the league. Plus, college football underway, tennis underway. We'll let you know what's going on all across the sports landscape next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's a big night across the sports landscape. The Williams sisters in doubles action currently they're they're uh, all knotted up, two two in the first set, all knotted up. We'll keep you updated on how that looks for them. Obviously, all eyes on the U.S. Open. Serena and her great match, not not just last night, but now seeing the two of them together, special moment. Also, college football in full swing. I know last week was week zero, so a lot of people, uh, the diehards, have already been sort of into it. But uh, as more casual fans start to keep an eye, the backyard brawl between West Virginia. And Pitt going on tonight. Pitt up three to nothing in that at the end of the first quarter. So rivalry matchup week one. This is everything that's great about college football. And uh, shamelessly, as I will continue to promote, Courtney, uh, two shows. Uh, the kickoff on ESPN Digital is me and Gary Streisky every Friday from 6 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern on the ESPN app, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. And then every Saturday, I'll be hanging out with A.J. McCarron from 7 to 8 p.m. to get you caught up on the college football show, all the highlights from the early games, the setup for the late games, an hour commercial free of the most intense college football you could possibly imagine. So Promote away. Yeah. I can't wait to watch both of those. I, I am a shameless self-promoter. That, that you have a very busy Saturday slate coming up. <laughs> Saturdays are actually my wildest day on campus. I usually get here at about uh, 11, 11.30 in the morning. And uh, last year I did multiple shows, so I wasn't leaving until like, you know, 12.30 or 1. And so, you know, uh, 12.30 or 1 in the morning. So it was a solid 13 straight hours of trying to figure out uh, figure out college football. But, you know, I love the sport. What can I say? Uh, in the meantime, my favorite sport to cover is college football, but my favorite sport to watch because I'm me is the NFL. And we've got NFL notes to give you, which means we get great music. I don't, know, I don't know if there's any better theme music than this. 
No, I mean, the primetime bed is a classic. Uh, like, you you could be in a horrible mood. You could have had somebody just run over your foot with a car, and you hear this, you're like, oh, man, I'm going to run through a wall now. Now, you, the way you describe the running makes me think that this should be the bed for, like, a strange sports-themed horror movie. Because, like, right now I'm just picturing somebody running up the stairs while somebody, like, a zombie in a football helmet is chasing them up the stairs. Oh, hit me up, Hollywood. I got the script for your next great movie. Uh, uh, I'm not sure that it's going to be a horror movie or not, but we do know that Alex Leatherwood from My Beloved Raiders was cut, and he was claimed by the Bears, which, interestingly, for anyone that didn't catch this, means the Bears take a little bit of that financial responsibility away from the Raiders. It saves them some dead cap money. Surprising to some, but obviously the Bears with offensive line uh, needs. You cover the Bears. You know this team better than anyone. What are your thoughts on Leatherwood to Chicago? Yeah, they were in a good spot, seventh in the claim order, so they had a chance to turn over the roster even after the initial 53 was put out on Tuesday. And they turned over about 10% of it in just a matter of 24 hours. And getting Leatherwood in the fold, I think, gives them an opportunity, Fitz, to continue to improve the offensive line, to truly do what they say when they're going to try to find their best five and it's it's interesting because right now Alex Leatherwood doesn't fit into the plans of the starting five as of right now but this is a former first round pick this is somebody who even though he's not in Vegas anymore it's not like he was injured all last year during his rookie season it's not like he didn't play he played over a thousand snaps last year, which is just wild to think about when you think about the body of work for somebody that a new regime is giving up on. And that's fine. I think that many of us thought Leatherwood was probably an overdraft when they took him 17th overall, and he gets this fresh start. But where he fits in is going to be really intriguing because is it at right tackle? Is it at guard? They just went through the situation with Tevin Jenkins and moving him from tackle to guard. Maybe they see a similar situation where they can give Leatherwood a fresh start, a clean slate at a different position. So we'll see. I actually really like this move for Chicago because to your point, while he was overdrafted in the first round, he was mocked by most to be a second round pick. Second round picks are rarely out of the league after a year. Yes, something has gotten in the head of Alex Leatherwood. My hope is that the Bears can sort of calm that down, whatever it is. And in the process of calming it down, they can get the best out of him because uh, obviously you don't have the success he had at Alabama. Get drafted in the first round if you absolutely can't play at all. So I, I feel like like, you know, this is a redemption opportunity. Uh, by the way, quick update in college football. West Virginia just scored. They take a 7-3 lead after JT Daniels, the former Georgia quarterback, gets a big old touchdown pass. So uh, we'll keep you updated on that game. Next up in the NFL news and notes, uh, hard news for the Titans. Uh, it, it looks like Harold Landry, the superstar rusher, has torn his ACL at practice on Wednesday. He's now going to be out. Uh, there are some metrics that are being run that are trying to tell you this is not a big loss for the Titans. I just don't believe that. Computers don't always understand all of it. The Titans rely on their pass rush to protect their secondary. This is a huge loss for a team that I think was already taking a step back offensively, Courtney. Now they have to figure out how to take a step back defensively as well, but still be competitive in a division where the Colts look like they may be very good. Yeah, it's a critical blow to this defense, and I think that you're going to see them you know, have to adjust in ways where maybe they end up going out before week one to sign another pass rusher. This is somebody who led the team in sacks last year. They build so much of what they do in terms of their plan to get after the quarterback around what Harold Landry brings to this team. And now, I mean, we know that on the interior they're fine, 
with uh, Jeffrey Simmons in the fold, and obviously they can get that push. But from the outside linebacker position, you're probably looking at someone like Rashid Weaver or Ola, Ad- Ola Adeyeni to like try to replace him somehow. And I do think that they could end up looking elsewhere to try to bring in some help uh, in terms of more pass rushers. Yeah, and never easy right now to find. Like We all know the importance of pass rush. I just don't think it's easy to find. Uh, next up on the NFL News and Notes, Cardinals cornerback Antonio Hamilton is on the uh, the injury list after a cooking accident. And this is kind of wild. He he tweeted this out for anyone that didn't see it. A couple of pictures said, had the greatest camp of my career last Monday. I had an accident that could have ended up deadly for me and my family, but instead I got the short end of it by having my feet severely burned second degree. It was literally a freak accident, and God spared me only to have these injuries. Uh, I, You know, I, I actually, uh, third degree burn on my leg as a kid, spent a long time in a burn unit. Burns are, uh, are difficult for me. When I see them, my, my immediate thought is, Oh my God, second degree burns for somebody that uses their feet. That's going to take a second to recover from. Also, how incredibly lucky you are to, to, to walk away from any incident with just second degree burns when it could be so much worse. Yeah, I mean, apparently, according to NFL Network, like he had spilled oil in some sort of cooking incident onto his feet. And if you saw that photo, you know, he's not going to be wearing shoes for a very long time. So it's a really unfortunate injury and certainly a blow to the secondary in Arizona, but he's lucky that it's not worse because when Harold Landry put that, excuse me, um, when uh, Antonio Hamilton put that tweet out, he said like, you know, it could have been deadly for him and his family. You wonder was anybody else with him in the kitchen at the time of this and, you know, freak accidents happen, but to take away your livelihood in the process of that, because you're not going to be able to play for, you know, a couple weeks here minimum. That's that's pretty scary for anybody. Yeah, I, I I think you know you just hold your breath at some point and say, man, thank God he's okay. That's important. Uh, by the way, uh, news from Spain and Fitz Nation. Uh, got a tweet here from Tony uh, disagreeing with us about the Deshaun Watson contract, saying it's not market value; it's the value that Cleveland was willing to pay. Let's see how that affects their roster in the future. Tony, thanks for hitting us up. I really appreciate that. My answer to that is always if someone's willing to pay it, it is market value. And last time I checked, Patrick Mahomes' contract was supposed to destroy the Chiefs. Still hasn't happened, much to my dismay. Uh, Most importantly, we'll get to some of this later, but one more quick note here. Poe, the mascot for the Baltimore Ravens, Courtney, is on injured reserve. Got a drumstick injury, the worst of the worst. (laughs) Oh, I I laugh. Obviously, he was hurt in a mascot event, uh, running down, uh, trying to make a tackle uh, with some kids. So that just shows you, you know, birds should never tackle kids. That's the important lesson. Most importantly, we hope the person that's in that Poe outfit is absolutely incredibly healthy and everything turns out just fine. In the meantime, we've got breaking NBA news to get to, and we're going to do it with one of the best in the business. Woj is going to stop by to break down Donovan Mitchell and the huge trade that happened today in the NBA. Spain, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 